Hello, and welcome to episode one of season two of the Todd and Taylor show. I am Todd A, and with me is... Taylor Trask. Hey, everybody. So we're doing, uh, if you follow our other podcast, uh, which is called Wednesday in Westeros, we are doing kind of a new thing this season where we're running. um, We just separated out all our Game of Thrones talk. So Mm -hmm. you are tuned into the podcast that is... Anything but Game of Thrones. <laughs> no This, but there's there's other cool stuff to talk about besides Game of Thrones, as you will, right. as you come to find. So this, these are going to be if you if you love the last season of the Todd and Taylor Show, very similar, just shorter, more compact, and there's a there's a slight twist in that I think one of us is going to more or less interview the other person on a specific topic. Is that right? Yeah. Let's see how that goes today. So. Um, I'm actually going to uh, uh, – we'll, we'll just skip my like intro notes and let's just jump to it because we are well, – the other thing we're trying to do is keep these a little brief so that yeah. uh, season two of the Todd and Taylor show will be you know like a, a brief uh, commute. You know? You, you, you <laughs> exactly. Pop, you, you put on the podcast 20 to 30 minutes later, you're done with it. You're not, you're not involved in some long discussion. So That's right. uh, today we are going to talk about um, the movie Batman v Superman. Dawn of Justice. Um, oh, yes. I we both saw this late. Neither of us ran to it on opening weekend, although mm-hmm. I tried. It was sold out, um, and then I just kind of, you know, I it got some bad reviews, and, and honestly, that did kind of affect my uh, enthusiasm to go see it. But mm-hmm. you, I saw it, so I saw it a couple weeks ago. You just saw it this week, correct? Correct. Um, and how did you see it? Was it in two D, three D, IMAX? What'd you do? Well, I debated that. I actually called yes. you going, which one's the better one? Um, I was confused about what was still in IMAX here. It actually is not still in IMAX um, here. But honestly, that's probably better. I'm, I'm glad I saw it the way I did. I just saw it on a um, like one of those just regular uh, high-def 2D screens, um, you know, decent-sized theater. There's like six of us in it at a, you know, <laughs> at a 7 o'clock. You know, it, it shows you how much, the, how much the audience has tapered off, I think. Uh, and great. Yeah what is it tuesday or wednesday night but still and um, we're what five weeks out from a uh, launch or something or four weeks i mean we're, we're shoot, away yeah. it was easter weekend so it was it was that yeah. it was that weekend so it's been a while well and i saw it on a, in the middle of the day on possibly a weekday yes it was a friday afternoon at like two or three in the afternoon so it was just myself and one other person in the theater <laughs> oh geez <laughs> that now i don't want to get off on a tangent does that have you found that that drastically affects how you watch movies, depending on how many people are there, the, the tone of the audience, the mood of the audience, all that I, kind of stuff? I think it does, right? I mean, um, and I've never been to this place, but you have uh, sung the praises of the Alamo Draft House. And so oh, yes. I would kind of assume that, you know, having an audience for that, even if you're all sitting in silence, you, you sort of feel this you know, the shared experience, right? Yeah. I mean, I used to, I'm one of the few people on, on earth who apparently love the hell out of Iron Man 2. And I think that's because I saw back when they did midnight showings, like five right. years ago, they don't really do midnight showings anymore. They do 8 PM Thursday night showings. I think is the staff of the theater wants to just get the hell out of there and go home and not yeah. be there till 3 AM. So back when they did midnight, like true midnight showings, Iron Man 2 was um, uh, May of 2010. And I saw it with an amazing audience, like the energy, like, like the line outside was cool. It was at this theater that I used to go to exclusively for midnight showing. So it was kind of known to attract a really good crowd. Um, even day, like opening day, you know, lines and audiences were great too. So I just, I remember seeing it there that night and it was just, it, it, it hit me in a much different way than I think most people because of that audience. If I had just seen it by myself or later on with a smaller group, I don't think I would have liked it as much as I do. 
Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's always kind of the example yeah. I go towards. I do think it affects it. Um, what I think affects even more, and this is one of the things that I, I shared with you offline was um, the, I saw it in 3d. Uh, mm-hmm. And so of course, by the time I saw it, they had downgraded it into a, you know, a smaller theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just like the 3d just didn't work physically in that theater you know mm-hmm. the, there was sort of some some peripheral lighting that they had like the exit signs and stuff oh, and it was yeah. just you know it was kind of like I, i'm getting this weird reflection off the glasses and and part of that was because there weren't people there and there was that weird barrier you know in the middle that like that yeah. separates the very front row from the from the kind of theater seating that goes up and um mm-hmm. so i i, I well, honestly the the it was so distracting that I got up and moved to the second row <laughs> and tw- twisted my body to where I was staring straight up at the screen, which wasn't really any better, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, did at least uh, help some of the lighting problems. So, um, yeah, more, I, you know, I, I think the audience impacts it, but there's such a, a thing to the, um, you know, to the like physical environment of the theater and what i think is so weird is that um you know when i when i hear comments from friends about how they they don't like seeing movies in the theater or they don't care it's too expensive or blah 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 i always think yeah that's because you're in a city with shitty theaters you know yeah we brought that up before like you know it's just if yeah you know if you don't have a great alamo draft house or you know that some of the places that i went in california like yeah you're just not going to feel yeah, like it's well, worth the the big screen experience, you know. One big, one little technical sort of kafah that I noticed, and I don't know if this was everywhere, just this theater. I saw it on a like an HD, like one of those true HD screens or projectors. You know, they usually like like this is true HD, like at the beginning. Um, <laughs> and, and it was weird. The opening, and we'll talk more about you know the sequence and stuff. But the opening sequence looked crystal clear. Everything was great. I noticed throughout the movie though, there were a couple, increasingly a couple of shots, a lot of them in the dark where it looked grainy and fuzzy and not at all like HD. And I, and the resolution kept ch- and it was jarring enough where I was like, what is going on here? And then, you know, during like the fight sequence or something, it would come back. So I don't know if it was shot that way, if they actually had low res footage they were using in spots, or if that was just the, the print was somehow bad or grainy or the projector was somehow not rendering it correctly. I don't know, but it's, if anybody's out there listening and has had a similar experience, I'd love to know. Cause it was, it was jarring enough and not consistent enough to where I was, I was really wondering what was up. You know, I, that, that ties in so, so well to what I was saying and, and makes such a better point, which is uh, I, I think what I hear from people who don't like seeing movies in theaters anymore because they all figure like I've got an HD at home and I've got surround sound. Um, they're getting – that's the bad experience. It's like it's not that the yeah. movie is bad in the theater. It's that the theater yeah. is bad and people are sort of thinking that that has to do with the movie, you know. So, I mean, yeah. my, my guess um, from what I saw – I didn't see any. I didn't notice anything grainy. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely dark, and I know um, there's there's definitely a difference between you know they do different cuts of of movies. There's a you know there's a 3D edit that's that's colored one way, and there's a 2D edit that's colored one way, and an IMAX is colored the other way because they have to factor in how much light is going to be pushed out through that projector. And mm-hmm. in some of those instances, I think. You see a movie, you know, four or five weeks into its run where they've moved it to the, you know, downgraded to the smaller theater and they don't have a stronger projector and whatever's True, happening. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't necessarily yeah. know all the uh, technical stuff that goes in there. I would think that they're kind of all equivalent, but um, with digital. This but, is why I appreciate yeah. people like Quentin Tarantino who gives it, who cares a hell of a lot about that kind of stuff. Exactly. You know, he, when he was 
doing the road show for hateful eight not to get off on a n- different movie entirely, but when he was doing the the road show for hateful eight i remember he was very specific about the theaters that he chose and yep. the way the print was delivered like he's like i want you to experience this exactly this way um and exactly in this and this setting he cares a lot about that in theater experience so i i really appreciate you know he may seem a little old school sometimes and that you know i will never not use film and blah 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 but he cares enough about the sitting in the theater experience um as an experience and i, I really i appreciate his thought into those kinds of things i wish other directors or other studios even would right yeah, i know when you get into in the you know into the four thousand you know theater or the 4000 screen you know release strategy it gets a little hard but still it's it, it would be nice to kind of have a better and i know alamo does a lot to sort of tamper down and really make that yeah a, a consistent experience for them but enough well, technical stuff we've been boring people with this <laughs> stuff. let's, well, let's I, get into the meat of the matter yeah totally let's jump in so what was your what was your overall impression of uh batman v superman i know this because you texted me the day after yeah, but yeah but let our listeners know well okay i i, I could sum it up thusly it's it's not often I find a movie that I that I equally love and hate, and I would much rather it just be terrible or good because when I when it's this way I walk out and it's just like you know you know when you walk out of a great movie and you're like oh my god and you feel like you have just dis- you've disappeared you know from the world for two hours or whatever it is and you come out you're like oh my god the world's still here that that just that feeling of I was transported and then there's the the, the terrible movies where you walk out and you're like that was just a massive waste of my time and you're very singular about how you look at that movie. when it's when it's kind of a little of both you're, you it kind of almost gives you a headache because you're just like I, oh. <laughs> and then you're trying to rationalize the good parts and rationalize the bad parts sure. and like did i really understand it this way so there was it was it was like a compliment sandwich as a movie really it, it was there were like you know it started off just amazing and then there's just like every other scene was like well, why is this here then it would rebound with something cool and then just it, it was it was kind of distracting that way so i got it was kind of an exhausting sit honestly so what were like, some of those those things that made you bounce back and forth like what was a high point yeah uh, and then and then i'll follow that up with what was a low point well, I mean, to start off with, just the opening sequence. Oh my God! It's you know, beautiful. the opening sequence. Even though I, you know, we don't need to. I know. I know. <laughs> it's been said so many times by so many other podcasts and people that you know we don't need to see the death of the Waynes anymore. We know, but I will say this: much like Watchmen's opening uh, sequence, Zack Snyder knows how to stage an opening sequence really yeah. well. Very beautifully shot. And you had freaking um, the guy who played Jeffrey Dean Morgan is uh, Thomas Wayne, for God's sake. So you got. Yeah. The guy who played the comedian, you know, bizarrely, and now Negan on Walking Dead, bizarrely is, and he did great. He was, he was like, I'm like, I could easily see him being Thomas Wayne. Um, but then they took that masterfully into, and, and the most compelling part of the whole thing for me was the Bruce Wayne POV of the events of Man of Steel, where he's, you know, driving right. his Subaru or whatever Ooh. through downtown Metropolis to, you know, and and you're seeing that devastation like 9-11 style from his point of view it was arresting it was really yeah. like you know it took what was just kind of i and i was really luke you know kind of lukewarm cold on, on man of steel like there's just so much of it just was heartless and even those all those fighting sequences i'm just like yeah i just didn't care so all of a sudden now you have this very human component and, and, and sort of observation of those scenes and it gave them way i almost want to go back and rewatch man of steel now knowing that's how other people saw it you know it and just seeing totally- justified man of steel to me because i yeah. man of steel to me like was uh i you know i enjoyed so many superhero movies i enjoy them all the way up until they get to the like you know catastrophic apocalyptic event and that was one of those where i was like oh my god it's like you're literally 
you have to, you know, that this thing is going to destroy the entire earth. Like that's the stakes that you're, <laughs> that you've accelerated yeah. to, but seeing the Bruce Wayne response to it, I, I think was, was such a good way of, uh, of showing us that in context and making us feel a little bit more connected to this giant destruction that in man of steel, we, we felt a little disconnected. From. Yeah, absolutely. So. And, and, you know, and, and just, it, it takes it from being like just another episode of dragon ball Z where it's just, you know, mindless destruction to like, Oh, there's, there's consequences to this kind of thing happening to two, yeah. you know, you know, alien gods fighting it out and, you know, just sort of whipping each other. And, and I, it bugs me a little bit. Cause some of that felt like a response to the fan criticism of man of steel. Like, I you agree. know, there was just needless destruction. However, if it was deliberate for that reason, like I, it worked, you know, it, I don't mind that it, it turned out that way. So that was, that was awesome. That was one of the many like just high points for me. And it's kind of, it really started the movie off where I was, cause I went in a little bit suspicious, just like, well, we'll, we'll see. And then that, right. that kicked off. So what was like, the low point? Anything involving jesse eisenberg like anytime <laughs> that dude was on screen i i and, and you know i was one of the people when they cast him and everybody was like oh god what and i was like no 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 wait yeah, this could be really cool him. this could be awesome if he and I'm, I'm not even saying he had to do his mark zuckerberg impression that would have been fine i i thought he would i'm like he's very in the same way that the that when they cast andrew scott to play moriarty on the sherlock series it was the it, the last version of moriarty you would have expected like if you know if they had actually told everybody this is moriarty like you know and and you know now we're familiar with who andrew scott is but at the time you know it i think a lot of people would have been like what him no so they kind of just dropped him in at the last last episode and oh my god it, it it's so new and fresh that it was it was again arresting you're like why wow, i i can't keep my eyes off this guy i thought maybe eisenberg would bring that kind of twist to lex luther i'm like well let's give him a chance <laughs> and i don't know what movie he thought he was in, but it wasn't this. It's like every every line of dialogue that dude had, everything, you know, it it just like he was it's like he just kind of bombed in from some other movie and just kind of did his thing. I don't know, and, and maybe you can explain this to me. What <laughs> what did he want? What was his character motivation? Well, like and, and how right. and how did he and, and on top of that, how did how is what he did how did how how were his actions going to get him what he wanted and i think like if if that was more clear i wouldn't be so you know, confused but it just you know and to deflect that question a little bit more um i you know i think i think we've talked about this probably in a previous podcast at the, uh, and if not here we go that that may be one <laughs> of the weaknesses of the dc movie universe of um you know because i i think <laughs> i think that's a criticism you can make of every lex luthor ever you know really? i mean in, in superman returns it's you know kevin spacey just shows up and he's already like wicked you yeah. know the first first scene is him uh getting this dying widow to sign over her all her possessions <laughs> to him uh <laughs> there's never any backstory or any explanation or you know why is he evil and joker in uh dark knight we get a couple of crazy scenes where he's you know explains like how he got his scars and stuff and and you realize like well, he's lying to me every time he tells me another story about this, but it, yeah, it yeah. at least speaks to his background a little bit. But still, he's he's very much just like a. But a, you know a, what he wants, like, even though I don't I don't like it. That's I don't true. Like, I don't like this as a character motivation. He at least says, I just I'm into chaos. And it's a right. little lazy, but he fit flat out says, like, I just want to see the world. I mean, and Michael well, King. Kind fact, of yeah. It, Dark Knight Rises, like he has that great speech to Two-Face, which I think explains everything you yeah. know i am an agent of chaos yeah yeah and, uh, 
Yeah. And, but, you know, that's just a, a problem with Lex Luthor is he's always kind of two dimensional. And I guess you and I both, I was a little bit more cynical about Eisenberg being in the role, but um, I was at least hopeful that, oh, there's some direction there. You know, there's something they're going to give him that explains that. And I guess one of the things we talked about was, uh, you know, again, offline was, um, Maybe they cut some backstory from him because he does, you know, allude to his father and and, um, you know, the company and the family home and stuff like that. So I, we can only guess that maybe there's 30 minutes of him, you know, it felt like <laughs> explaining it, it, it his daddy issues. It felt like he was a kid who had been away at summer camp, like a, like a rich kid spoiled summer camp, watching like really old school, like superhero cartoons with his friends all summer long came back and was like i want to do that and was like and just kind of concocted every like weird like it, it, every plot and james bond you know, villain plan and everything it, it just it felt like as much as they were trying to make this like the dark and gritty real dc universe they threw him in and all his motivations were just cartoonish and you know of some other like i said he would have been a great villain like you know he, he and um uh, you know, in, in those original Roger Moore's Bond movies, would have right <laughs> in. You know, I was waiting for, well, for Odd Job to come in with a hat and like you know throw it and like slice a statue in half or something. Like it's just like that's that's what he was playing. And I'm like, I don't. This doesn't match. Yeah, Odd at Job's all. in the Sean Connery movies. <laughs> well, even so, like it, it, that would have been, you know, is part of it like Eisenberg's youthful appearance? No, I that you didn't bug me at all. No, no, that he, that bothered me because I always have, felt like there's a teenager in in the world of adults whereas lex luthor to me has always seemed maybe older than superman and um you know i i i i I guess the idea to 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 have lex luthor as sort of the tech company the startup kid you know that wears sneakers and is you know um really informal and and kind of you know snotty to the people around him in business i I guess that's a new you know that's like the current spin on on luther or something but casting the guy that played mark zuckerberg is was just too on the nose for me. yeah and i agree you know i mean it would have been even more on the nose though to have brian cranston or terry o'quinn pop up you know um and it's like and as much as i wanted that i'm glad they didn't do that because it would have been the whole movie was so just dour and, you know, like there, there were only yeah. two characters who ever smiled and it was Alfred and, and Diana Prince. Everybody else was just like so miserable the whole time. So like if you cast Brian Cranston and Terry Quinn, they're going to give amazing performances, but they're just going to double down on this like serious dark, you know, it's like, so I feel sure. like what they're probably doing in the cast and like, well, we need to offset that somehow. I know let's get Eisenberg into, you know, Riddler it up and like do, you know, whatever the hell character he's, he's doing and kind of inject some levity. That's, I think that's, that's what it seems like he was supposed to be there for. He was like the, he was like, you know, like whatever levity we need, Jesse, just go crazy, do whatever you want, just bigger, bigger, crazier. Like we need to, you know, I feel like that was what he was, someone was poking him to do that. Um, and I don't think it was his own choice. It doesn't feel like it was his own choice a lot because I've seen him in movies where he's really good and really subtle and really, you know, he can deliver. Even if, I mean, as much as people, a lot of people kind of di- rag on Adventureland, he's great in Adventureland. Like he, he's <laughs> capable of this more underplayed, subtler kind of thing. So I'm just like, who's who's poking him? Was Snyder just like bigger, bigger? We're gonna do it. At, you know, take four, bigger, Jesse. Come on. Like I feel like that's what was going on. They could have, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way: if they had made him bald to start with you know they they get rid of that ridiculous haircut 
And because it looked like a wig the entire time, it looked it looked like something Roger and American Dad would wear, right? It looked like something that just was like you know, like then that that just made it even more like what is, what is happening right now? So they made him just get rid of that as a distraction and made him like completely like the cool, almost like the um uh oh god, who's who plays Poe Dameron? Um, oh, what the hell is that guy? Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac in the movie um Ex Machina. Like where he's just kind of cool and laid back and, you know, there's something not right with him, but you can't put your finger on what it is. Like Oscar Isaac in, in X Machina would have been an amazing Lex Luthor. So if, if Eisenberg oh had just been that and had been just like laid back and chill to the point where like his instead of being crazy and weird and sinister, he was just like he was you know overly friendly and overly and it would have been more terrifying because you would have been like, here's this dude who's like you know rich and he inherited his father's company. And he's like, you know what, we're, we're not going to be the stuffy corporate thing my dad wanted. I'm going to be a lot more cool a lot more transparent you know and, and really milking that sort of millennial like hey it's we're all you know it's transparent and we're trying to do good for the world and meanwhile he's got like these these machinations of like evil that we just you know, he's not putting on you know putting out there in front street um I, like that would have been isaac, so much yeah oscar isaac in ex machina is a way more terrifying lex luthor than yeah. isaac yeah. is as lex luthor um, yeah, yeah, that is such a good call. So you mentioned one of those characters who smiles, being Diana Prince. Yep. Uh, what did you think of Wonder Woman? I thought this entire thing, <laughs> this entire endeavor, was a what five hundred million dollar <laughs> Wonder Woman marketing campaign because, like, the whole like all, the the one thing that I left the theater with was. I'm I'm so torn, but God damn it, I can't wait for this Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. Like I every time she was every time Gal Gadot was on screen it was just magical. Like even if she didn't say anything at all, she could just wander in with like a dress and like kind of look at, you know, kind of look at Bruce Wayne kind of accusingly or something. Like I'm like, I want more of this, more of this. So when she finally rolls in, and, and part of me is kind of really, really, really wishing they hadn't revealed her in any way before the movie imagine if you had gone in not knowing that a wonder woman was even in it that gal gadot was playing like knowing none of that and all of a sudden this woman pops up you're like oh my god is that diana prince and they don't even say her name until she exits the plane and imagine like if if you (laughs) didn't know that and you get to that scene where all of a sudden she's watching and there you know she's leaving the plane like miss prince miss prince you're like oh my god and then like think about how exciting it would have been if she and then that was the big twist that she well you're right that would have been incredible i do think though that um it was a big enough twist for me just that she had such a large role in it because Mm -hmm. um and so i do i I, you know i would kind of i would kind of guess that some of that was was managing expectations on their part like they had to show in the trailer because they knew it's gonna leak that we've got someone cast as diana prince yeah um you know, much in the way that I anticipated uh, Barbara Gordon making an appearance somewhere because mm-hmm. I know who's been cast as Barbara Gordon. So it was like, um, well, you know, there's going to be some redhead <laughs> yeah, yeah. as Babs or something. Well, now in the extended edition, there's going to be some. Right. Redhead. Well, <laughs> so I mean that. Uh, I, yeah, I just it, it was such a good setup for Wonder Woman. And especially because even when it was revealed, um, you know, whom they would cast as as Wonder Woman and. Um, that you know that brief uh, scene that we had of her in the trailer, I I, I, I people were were kind of knocking it you know before the movie even came out, and then the movie mm-hmm. did, I think did a great job of upsetting those expectations. And really, I have yet to meet I have yet to meet one person who's like, oh man, she was lame. Like everybody's right. like, oh my god, like more of this. And it's telling too that you know, and once she joins the the fight, 
notice how the camera always puts her front and center and Batman's yeah. behind her, like to the side. Like if it makes her like, if anything, she's the leader of the justice league based on all this stuff. And I, I know it's been covered to death, but Jesus, like during that fight scene where she actually, you know, she gets her ass knocked, you know, knocked down. Yeah. And all of a sudden she kind of smiles and like, you know, you know, it's like, she was holding back. It was very dragon ball Z. It was very much like Goku, like, Oh yeah. Like, let me show you my real, my real trick. You know, it was, it felt, I got that vibe. And of course the, the soundtrack for her was just, it was just like every time that drum came on, you know, came on screen, they, they did it a couple times. They almost did it a little too much. Cause I'm like, the first time it happened, I'm like, Oh God, this is her theme. This is what everybody's been talking about. And then it popped in once or one, you know, one or two more times, but it's still, when it popped in the battle scene, I was just like, Oh God, this is so good. This is well, just exactly what it should be. Bringing up the battle scene. I mean, was, was doomsday too monstrous and destructive? and nonsensical i mean were those were those stakes too yes. big for us i don't even think they were again because because eisenberg luther was like the the sort of the instigator of that like i just didn't it, it was just a monster of the week to me you know the fact that yeah. i don't even know if we should call it doomsday it was just kind of like you know it was gray hulk or what was the what was the uh, thing that um in the the edward norton hulk what was the oh the uh, abomination if it, it was basically that CGI character that they just had saved on a floppy disk somewhere. <laughs> hey, let's, uh, let's give it a spike or two and call it. I mean, it just had that, had that vibe. So it wasn't, you know, it could have been if it had had a personality, you know, if it retained some of Zod's personality, that would have been, you know, that could have been cool. If it wasn't like, you know, five stories taller than it was as a, you know, as a person, like that would have been cool. I just felt like it was, you know, it was, it was a foil, nothing more. Yeah. Um, I just, but again, it, regardless it was still cool as hell to see her in action fighting against it, you know. Well, and then seeing yeah. her whip, and then seeing like even like her whip out her lasso and like you know, oh, hold yeah. it, and then just like, oh my god, like just it makes me really again. I don't, I, I am more excited. This whole thing was just like a giant commercial for get ready, like next year you're gonna see more of this. Yeah. It's like, yep, I, I will be first in line. Well, I mean, I came out of the movie really loving it and going, what the hell was everybody thinking of when they? Gave it negative reviews. I mean, not so that I thought it was brilliant, but um, I, you know, I loved it. And and a big part of it was Wonder Woman. And as as you know, I don't want to say it was dumb, but as you know, as I don't know, as tropey as that Doomsday, you know, bad guy fight was, uh, at least it was it was sort of manageable whereas sort of the, the man of steel you know world engine that zod brings to earth i felt like yeah. this is this is a crazy amount of like stakes that you've raised here <laughs> yeah but at least um, i mean that you know I, I just and i liked that that moment where all of a sudden it was like okay superman and batman are you know like kind of figured out like there's a bigger enemy here all right and- let's talk about that though because like that that was the most horseshit part of the entire the entire <laughs> thing the entire what, thing what was predicated on exactly? <laughs> okay well okay the entire movie was predicated on uh both guys getting duped by lex Luthor, one who should have been smart enough to see through that true you know and the other who was just like yeah <sighs> I don't, you know, the whole, it was like, these two guys are going to fight. I mean, they're not even, Batman, like Bruce Wayne had, you know, had good reason to, 
not trust him, but like he could have put, you know, he could have, he could have surveilled him. He could have done all the detective things that Batman's known to do instead of just being like, you know, if there's a 1% chance, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. You know, that, like that whole thing was just like, I felt like Alfred made a better Batman than, than <laughs> Bruce Wayne did. Like, I love, I mean, again, uh, you know, Wonder Woman was one of the things I love. I love Jeremy Iron. He's the best Alfred I've ever seen. And like, <laughs> he was so even-minded and even-tempered about it. He was smart. He was mechanical. He was like all the things that B- Affleck was not. It was like Affleck was just kind of like the muscle, and he, you know, all the scenes were about him, you know, lifting weights and you know, doing, you know, shooting people down with guns and shit. And then Alfred's the guy who's like actually researching stuff and actually like fixing things and like thinking methodically. And I'm like, dude, he should just be Batman. Like that's what I was expecting <laughs> this to be. So, so the fact that these two guys are fighting. On, on these kind of false pretenses and weak pretenses at that. And then the fact that they made up quote unquote so fast, you know, and the, when, and it really hit me and I just really was like, it deflated me when, you know, after they're like, your name's Martha, or your mom's Martha, my mom's Martha. Okay, cool. <laughs> right. And it's like, let's be friends. And then when Bruce, when Batman goes to save Martha Kent, he's like, I'm a friend of your son's. I'm like, no, you're not. You just tried to kill him 10 minutes ago. Like you just tried to flat out mur- and not even murder him. You scarred him in, on the face. Like you, you branded him like you do all the other criminals you deal with. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it just, it was such a weird, flimsy, you know, I, I, like these two, here are two guys. Like I would much, I was much more interested in the Diana Prince, Bruce Wayne dynamic. Cause there was something where these two people yeah. were like, Ooh, they're mysterious. And they're, they kind of like, that was a, the burgeoning of a relationship that actually worked. These other two guys, especially, you know, like when, you know, spoilers after Superman dies, quote, you know, he, Bruce Wayne's at the at the grave. He's like, I failed him. I'm like, yeah, you 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 tried to kill him, and then magically that, like, what is hap- Like, what is going on well, right now? So, I, 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 yeah, I can't I can't disagree with any of that. That especially the the Martha moment was was <sighs> so corny. It was so corny though that I did not predict it coming. Um, but <laughs> I did think that up until the Luther, uh, I, I guess you know, <laughs> kidnapping Lois Lane. And maybe I'm not remembering all of it so perfectly, but I did think, you know, I did think at least the intro of it gave Bruce Wayne tons of reasons not to trust Superman. But I agree with you, like, he definitely should not have been manipulated so easily by Luthor. He should have been able to see, you know, to do some detective work and figure that out ahead of time. I didn't expect Superman to go well, if I got to kill Batman, I got to kill Batman and just fly over there. Well, and he didn't. Re- he did that reluctantly. At least, at least he sure. was like, "I don't need." He's not my enemy. But it, it was that other weird trope of like, "Why don't you just tell Batman what you're doing? You know, why why don't you fly over there and that's the first thing you say to him or whatever?" But he did. But he did. That was the first, you know, he and Batman was was had nothing. He was already like, "No, this is gonna be too much fun. I'm not gonna listen to what you have to say." I uh, I just I feel like here's. You take Caesar, Caesar Romero Luther, you know, and like you put him like you, he's he's younger than Bruce Wayne by far. They're both equally wealthy. How the hell does he know a Batman's real identity? B Superman's real identity. C the ability to manipulate both of those guys. And here you have like what's supposed to be like the ultimate you know Sherlock Holmes plus James Bond character who could who couldn't see any of that. Right. I'm like what you you had just as much as many if not more resources Bruce Wayne you could have easily figured this you know and if, if if it was something where you know I would rather the fight have been purely based on what we saw in that original that opening scene where it's like this guy 
this guy messed up my world, my, you know, my family, my employees, like the, he's not safe. And if it had been more about that only and not like Luther manipulating them, it would have been stronger. It would have been cooler to have seen that play out instead of this like false, you know, this almost like this false flag sort of battle. Yeah. And it seems like when the Senate hearings explode, Mm -hmm. that that's the moment that both of them would have put it together of like, Luther just manipulated all this shit. Well, and, and, and there's a great point there, before the Luther kidnapping Lois Lane part, you know, and Martha. Like, well, okay, let's let's rewind that. So, him kidnap, kidnapping Martha made some sense. Like, okay, he wants to hold her hostage. Why did he need to kidnap or kidnap Lois Lane as well? Did that salt? What did that do? I mean, like, yeah, got Superman out, you know, out onto the tower, but. He could have done that with his. He could, he could have said. He could have put a, a t, you know TV alert out. Like we've got Martha. You know Martha Kent. Why did he need to kidnap Lois Lane too? Like what was the point? What was the point of blowing up the you know all of the uh, all of Congress or the you know the state you know the U.S. Capitol? Like why? What did well, that right. serve? I mean, wasn't that? Well, isn't that the moment that he got their attention? You know that's what I thought. But was like, like the world, the it wasn't like the world was like, oh, Superman did this. Yeah, I mean, there's some conspiracy theorists, but like most people were like, yeah, that was we. And they saw like, yeah, the guy in the wheelchair had the bomb. Like this, this right. was meant to frame Superman. So I'm like, what was the point of all that? And, Other than and, to just you know, Bruce had already put it together, like. That that's you know I mean like the second there you know the second before it happens he realizes like yeah oh this you know this guy that is supposed to be receiving checks from me is not and <laughs> yeah and that, it just seems really like when that happens point. that's the moment they could have cut the next twenty minutes of Luther scheming and you know but but then how do you have the back I don't know it was I have no explanation for it other than it's comic booky. I know. But it felt like a movie where stuff just happens to everybody but Diana Prince. Like she's the only character with any intention, with any purpose, with any sort of like this is what I'm after. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Oh, sh- this stuff's going down. I need to go help. Like that made sense. Everything else is just like stuff happens well, to people and people react without any sort of you know. There's not. There's no thread that tied it all together other than I mean, this happens and I guess some other stuff right. happened. And you make such a good tight. point about that. And like that Diana Prince is the only one with intention and purpose. And in fact, that that's what, uh, what I want to circle back to that. So that when she arrives, when doomsday is attacking them and they are having this, you know, petty superhero brawl that I thought, I felt like I loved that moment where they, they all go after doomsday because she was giving the other two that intention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yep. she had to be there to be like, no gentlemen <laughs> focus. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I know that, I mean, I know they'd already, you know, they'd already made up or whatever, but that was, I, I just liked it because at that point it was, it was focused on, you know, a common enemy and we saw the Justice League in action. Um, you know, uh, it, it, I don't know. I just, I, I liked it at that point, <laughs> I, I, even though I didn't, yeah. didn't necessarily like doomsday. I just, that battle of it, um, was pretty cool and it reminded me of um uh trailers for one of those like dc universe uh video games that i thought was like so oh well yeah like, you know? like um, injustice or one of those yeah or... i think that was it God's among us. Um, so I, how'd you feel about the introduction of the rest of the justice league i mean <laughs> i again anything involving lex you know lex luther was just like <laughs> I like the fact that we got to I, I like that, you know, and granted there was a little marvel with like, you know, it was like, you know, ob- obligatory commercial for a future movie kind of thing. It was weird that they all had their own logo, 
you know, in Lex Luthor's file, he's like, yeah. let's see, I'm going to give Flash a logo. It's going to look like this. I'm going to give Wonder Woman this WW logo. Like, I'm like, it, it was, that was a little weird. I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, if you don't think too hard about it, it's fine, but it's just like, why is, why would he know that? Um, I, you know, it, I was also surprised. I, you know, I, I'd kind of come to the conclusion that Ezra Miller was just not going to be the Flash because the TV show is doing so well. And I'm just like, I don't know if this kid's going to make it, but then the fact that he appeared twice, you know, but once in a flash, you know, the sort of dream sequence. And then in that little, um, in that little sort of uh, montage of, of surveillance footage, I thought it was cool. I thought it set up, you know, those characters, it, 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 at least it gave those characters some context ahead of time. Um, so, cause we're not, we're not going to have the luxury of each of them having a, a solo movie and then a team up. movie. Right. We're jumping right to the team up movie, which might be very risky. Um, so the more context we have, the better, you know, we're only gonna have a, I mean, what is that next year that comes out or the year after? So it's not, I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't so heavy handed. You know, there wasn't like 15 minutes of Nick Fury coming in and going, okay, Bruce, this is what we're going to, you know, it wasn't Amanda Waller coming in and being like, and now I, I kind of thought that's what it was going to be kind of thought, cause they'd cast her for suicide squad. I kind of thought, Oh, she's the Nick Fury of this universe. Amanda Waller is going to come <laughs> walking in and be like Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I have some news for you, you know, which would have been maybe more exciting. I, I don't know, but yeah, it was fine. Well, I mean, I, I, I did think it was stupid that um, somehow Luther has this information on the superheroes and Bruce Wayne doesn't. Um, I think Again, that's a great it, point. Um, but I did like the way that they like I basically I saw more of Aquaman and Flash and Cyborg than I thought I was going to see. I agree. Yeah. And yeah. so that at least cheered me. Like I, you know, I, I, I really didn't know how they were going to incorporate them into the movie, and I thought it's going to be so corny if they all just sort of show up at the end and like in the battle or something, you know. And it's, um, it all you know, they're we should all work together or something, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I did like that it was like just you know, it, it was more than just planting a seed. You know, you actually see them all do something. Uh, I love, by the way, that Aquaman has the sonic boom in the water that Superman does when he flies. Did you yeah. notice that? When he's like going away, it's like that, that boom. You're like, oh, that's yeah. You know, that Aquaman movie could be badass if they're. It's going to be. This is a whole other conversation, but the Wonder Woman next year is going to be very instructive. If that yeah. goes really well and looks really well, I think they're going to give Zack Snyder a lot less to do and and really empower some of these other directors to hopefully do more. Um, well, let's yeah, let's hit that in the in the lightning round because we we've run over every time limit that that oh, I had. So I, let me let me hit the. <laughs> That'll be our lightning round signal. Um, although we've I literally had to turn the timer off twice because we just oh. kept talking. But I'll hit my dumb opinions really quickly, which which aren't actually opinions, but <laughs> the, I was shocked to learn this this week that. Um, a death you may have missed was uh, Jimmy Olsen was the spy what? cameraman with Lois Lane in the Middle East. Wait, really? And apparently, you know, people noticed this as soon as the movie was released because he's in the credits that way. Huh. Did, they, did she refer to him as Jimmy at all at any point? No. And he, in fact, I think he introduces himself with another name because I remember when they showed him, I was like, oh, that's Jimmy Olsen. Uh, you know, he's got a camera, of course. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be him. And then he said, no, my name's this, and I'm with the CIA. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's not that's not Jimmy. And then they kill him. <laughs> but apparently that was him. I, so, I'm going to say that's already a... been wiped out of the <laughs> view. 
well, there's Jenny Olsen, so that you know, I think they were kind of almost teeing her up to be that. But I, you know, I'll believe it when I see. It. I, that could have just easily been one of those things in the credits that they'll just you know reverse at their convenience. I, I wonder. Um, so the other thing that I, you know, I knew before I saw it that um, Affleck, at least in some interview, had said, "Yeah, Robin is dead in our universe already," and, and meaning probably the Jason Todd Robin. Um, who was famously hilariously voted to die <laughs> in yeah. the 80s by a, a telephone pole. Oh, that's that right. Did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the original Robin being uh, Dick Grayson, who has become Nightwing at that point. But what I did not understand from just viewing the movie was that um, in that tour of the Batcave, the uh, uniform that has like the, you know, the Joker's the graffiti yeah. uh, sprayed on it was Robin's uniform with robin's staff i just t- totally did not put that together and i feel so Rob, stupid well, it was in the robin previews and everything a, yeah but why would robin have a like whatever the hell that weapon was it, he, it was as a, as, as sometimes carried a staff really like a, like a bow staff kind of thing i didn't know that okay and I, I can't like exactly trace it and i don't know if it's red robin who started doing it or <laughs> red robin whatever yeah there's a red robin actually but uh I, you know it's I guess it's a thing that's been around, and I guess that's how we were supposed to know. Oh, that's Robin. Whereas I just thought, like, oh, he, you know, wouldn't it be great if the the, some old Batman uniform? Wouldn't it be great if the Batfleck directed Batman movie was how that happened? (laughs) Well, hopefully they're going to move. I mean, I would just kind of assume that they're setting their way up for. um, uh, Oh crap! Her name just escaped me for the for the Dark Knight, um, uh, Robin. Uh, oh, okay. name oh, uh, me, so some some geek will Carrie correct Kelly. me if I can't get to it. Yes. Um, so that that was just sort of my dumb assumption was that okay. that, that might be uh, Carrie that they're, you know, there will just be a team up with, uh, you know, Barbara Gordon. Um, the, the other thing that I was going to say in, in our lightning round was like the the Batman with the gun thing I thought was I, I get that critique, um, but Batman has always used guns and rocket launchers and missiles and everything on his cars and airplanes. And I don't, you know, to me, it's sort of, it's uh, contradictory to say, well, he's never going to hold a handgun uh, because that's how his parents were murdered. Um, But he's going to use all these other guns. And I just thought in that big scene where he's freeing Martha and he, you know, he shoots several guns several times. That was kind of classic Batman of like, he's, He's causing chaos and he's, um, you know, he's misdirecting and things like that, but he's not necessarily killing people with the guns. Well, he was mowing down people like crazy, though, in the Batmobile, like that entire sequence when he's in the car, like like, half of those people die. It reminded me a lot of um, Burton Batman, where Michael Keaton just whoever was in the way, he just flat out murder. It's like, whatever, (laughs) you know, only this time it was almost worse because that almost kind of felt like a, Oh, whatevs. This kind of felt like, you know, I'm going to brand you so that you get murdered in prison. It's like, what the hell? Like it just, it didn't bug me so much. It just felt very red. It felt very (laughs) eighties. Like it felt like I was watching one of those classic, like Burton Batman movies all of a sudden, like, all right, well, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's weird for sure. I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, it's not that I'm not troubled by that because I, uh, uh, um, I just don't think it's it's like as weighty a criticism as it you know as people think it is because it's like we've seen him use some kind of you know <laughs> uh, gun weapon in every movie yeah. 
So I just think a lot of fans have resigned themselves to anything involving Zack Snyder is now referred to as the DC Murderverse. I really so think just, that that's what it, what it was, you know, and that's how that was the one of the notes on the lighting round was I was saying it was uh, you know this article I read right before it came out was about just how freaking successful it really was. I mean, it's you know it was over eight hundred million, yep. um, you know, two or three weeks ago, and uh, I had read this article in Forbes about how long it took Marvel to top that number. You know, yeah. even when you look at like how successful um, uh, uh, the Iron Man was, uh, it only did the 585 worldwide, mm. you know? So, and then there, and then that article had these great things about how like, you know, uh, the Hulk did this like 600 million or something like that, but it still w- was less than Shrek forever after. <laughs> Jeez, well. uh, and it's, so it's, you know, I just, uh, it is a very uh, strange paradox that we look at, it, you know, there's, there's been this chorus of, uh, Batman v Superman was a letdown, um, but it it really did it really was successful. And I don't know, I'm just wondering how that's going to. I think up. it was a critical letdown, and there's enough stink on it to influence how they proceed with their next movies. I yeah. think Suicide Squad is going to be very. So let's let's actually do some true lightning rounds. So yeah, are you that? Are are you excited for Suicide Squad after seeing this? Yes or no? Well, I haven't really been uh, excited for it at all. I am uh, a little bit more excited. Based on the last trailer, um, mm-hmm. the uh, Ballroom Blitz trailer, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we see a Batmobile in that one. Um, yep. And so that was really what kind of excited me for that. Uh, yeah. Honestly, it was just Batman. I, I do not care about the Suicide Squad. I, I'm, I, I really am, you know. <laughs> Just to, I I don't know what what like what I'm supposed to like in that movie like oh it's a, a bunch of jerks all together. <laughs> uh, are you excited about, about the Justice you? League Part One? Having seen this, well, let me throw one of those to you. I mean, how did you? What do you think about the Justice League? Are you? Does it set you up or does it let you down? Does it adjust those expectations? I I uh, we'll wait and see after Wonder Woman. We'll see what she. We'll okay. see what that movie is, and then uh, um, I'll, I'll reserve judgment until after that. And the week that we're recording this, we've gotten news that um, Seth Graham Smith, I believe I got that name right, has dropped off mm-hmm. as the director of The Flash. And then you told me just as we started this call that – It's just in. Yep. Yeah. Did I uh, – was it Aquaman? Yep. Aquaman, that director is potentially uh, – James Wan is potentially – or Jim Wan, whatever his name is, is potentially leaving as well. I think in the way they're positioning, it's because of the now increased pressure following sort of the release the, – the lukewarm release – the Batman v Superman, they're they're looking at it like, well, maybe we should tweak this, or maybe we should. They're they're kind of pulling back on some of the creative control that they had given them uh, previously. Yeah, well, I mean that that's a really interesting topic that we should go into, you know, in in some longer podcast sometime because we've touched on it with the Marvel um, Marvel movies and you know on the, the the sort of individuals that set them up for that. And Zack Snyder was definitely set up as like the DCU guy and. And now it just Kevin seems Feige like, DC. Yeah. yeah, now it just seems like that, you know, they, they don't necessarily have the, uh, the trust in his vision that they may have once had. Um, and, you know, Feige is a good one, but I think uh, Favreau did such a, a, a good job with those first two Iron Mans that it's Absolutely. like, you know, he doesn't get I mean, enough credit. And if anything, Favreau's having the last laugh because Jungle Book is doing amazingly well right now. Like it's being yeah. really well received. It's, it's achieved. And, and it's a movie that was shot, you know, a jungle movie that was shot entirely in downtown Los Angeles in a, in a state, you know, in a building, which is amazing. So there's well, just, I, I feel like Favreau is getting his like second wind right now. Cause he had well, kind of disappeared for a little while. 
Yeah, but I don't think he like got pushed out. I think that was his choice. You know, he saw. I agree. Agreed. He saw the massive no, opportunity behind Cowboys and Aliens. Cowboys and, and Aliens really put the stamp on him, though. I think, which you know, is too <laughs> right, bad right, right. I think that was yeah. He, it wasn't that. He, it was that. Uh, that was the movie that kind of. Uh, yeah, but you know, I loved I loved his, some of his other work. I love Chef. That was a great movie. Chef um, was really good. Yeah, I mean, if, sorry to go off on another tangent, but if you're if you're still listening and you have Netflix, <laughs> go find Chef. Yeah, it's amazing, I, I, amazing I, little I, heartfelt movie, indie movie. Um, but but I you know I've pointed out before, uh, Favreau. Um, I mean, he was Foggy Nelson in Daredevil with Ben Affleck. So that guy was he know, really? Yeah, he is. He is Marvel. You know, I mean, he was on Team Marvel. Oh my back god! Then, so was yeah. he? I have not seen that. I, I have not seen it all the way through. Number one, but it's been so long. I had no idea he actually appeared in it. That's, yeah, yeah, he did. He um, <laughs> he was also, by the way, if you want to go way back, he was an extra or a, at least a production assistant on. Um, the uh val kilmer batman uh batman and robin really back in 97 yeah or 95 yeah 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 he's it's a it's it's a blink and you miss it name in the credits and it says john favreau you're like oh my god he was he was banging around this stuff like a long time ago well when we when we play that game i think the great thing to point out is that ben affleck played the actor george reeves who played superman on tv in hollywood land in uh, 2006 and Diane Lane was in that movie <laughs> with him. Six degrees, six degrees. Ben Affleck's going to take that mantle from Kevin Bacon. Let me let me do one I, couple more quick so, yeah, quick little yes or no questions for you. Oh. Did you like Ben Affleck as as Bruce Wayne yeah, slash Batman? I did like him. Yeah, for sure. Do you still like Henry Cavill as Superman? Yeah, I like I like Henry Cavill as as Superman. I mean, um, I think both of them work together well for this uh, you know dark universe that DC used creating mm. did you like jeremy irons as alfred oh yeah yeah I, I i mean i don't know that i would go as as far as you did with best alfred ever um i mean if i could do a michael kane impression i would break one out right now but uh she was only 16 so <laughs> i'm not gonna bury another batman <laughs> to, borrow, I, to borrow literally from from the the trip or whatever that's uh, i know yeah, the, movie is, which is awesome too. I, you know, Michael Kane, give him his props. He was great, but I love the fact that Jeremy Irons was, you know, he was he was skilled. He was kind of the voice of reason, bizarrely enough. And you could tell he's, you could tell he had been around. You know, he 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 felt perfect for a Batman that had been around for about twenty years. So clearly, Alfred at that point is going to know a lot about right. how to fix this stuff, how to you know how to basically be Batman and all but physicality. You know, he know, and I just felt like that. It was more of a Oh, how do I want to put it? Well, he was less like the butler and more like the uh, you know the I, the guy you know the I, guy in the in, in all the spy movies like the you know like the Benji in Mission Impossible or like sure, any of those Q. kinds of things. He's, yeah, yeah, he's the cute yeah, and it just that felt appropriate for where this where that story was at that point. You know, I agree at, totally, and and I think um, you know all uh, all hail uh, Michael Caine, but um, Irons did uh, uh, make it like he he was a better character in that sense of like this is the comic book alfred who yeah. has always been like was an army medic and you know worked on the batmobile and and was the gadget guy and the detective and stuff although i do you know uh kane did so much of that in the in the last two chris nolan movies yeah uh, you know i love seeing him in the, when they had the alternate bat cave that was like in the city you know yeah. he, he did yeah, a ton yeah. of the detective work for um you know christian bale there so um uh, but yeah i love jeremy irons as as uh 
Jeremy Irons also didn't pull focus, which is important because there's a lot of these movies where he just hams it up so much. You're like, oh God, Jeremy Irons. Like this is one where he just kind of, he stayed, he was a great bass player. He just kind of held, held steady, <laughs> did his thing. You know, he just kind of ha- fit into the ensemble. Didn't, but he just, what he did was incredibly solid. I really appreciated that. Yeah, I agree. Um, were there, you know, were there any other, uh, ups or downs that, that we may have missed in this, uh, synopsis? Nah, of I mean, Batman? I can, I can nitpick, I can nitpick scenes and stuff, but I think we more or less covered it. Yeah. I, I actually, you saying all that, um, uh, it kind of puts my, <laughs> my joy at seeing it in perspective. Like I'm like, huh, now I got to go back and watch it and think, was I just excited to see another Batman movie? <laughs> Clouded my judgment. Well, where you um, let me let, let's sum it up this way. I went in with optimistic expectations. Uh-huh. You know, like like kind of a you know I'm going to hope for the best on this thing. I'm not you know even though everybody's like bragging on it, it, it might be it might be better than I think. And came away more disappointed. Did you go in the opposite, opposite. way? Yes, okay. I went okay. in thinking I, thinking at this point I, I think it's going to be a real bomb. And so gotcha. when I came, when it was not, I think I was I was much more cheered by that, you know. You got you got a regular subway sandwich and not a shit sandwich, and so you were happy with, you know. <laughs> the subway sandwich is so much better than, than that Togo sandwich I had last week. You got you got a, you got a Panera artisan sandwich, and uh, you expected a subway sandwich. Uh, Bingo. And I, got, and I went in hoping for a a market fresh sandwich from Arby's. And got sort of a, a bowl of soup from from McDonald's, and you're like, I don't, I don't, what is this? <laughs> I didn't even know they they made soup. Exactly, exactly. Is this just like, Coca Cola over ground beef. <laughs> exactly. You're just terrible. more confused than anything. You're like, I I, I guess you know, this, all right. Well, um, that I mean, you know, food. that all plays into the the perceptions of movies. I, I appreciate that that we <laughs> have such. Um, should we should we quickly plug? It's funny too that like. Right around seeing this, we both read Wonder Woman Earth One. Yeah, you know what? And and it's interesting too because I now have in my head a, a ideal Wonder Woman based you know from this movie alone. I'm like, this is what I want my Wonder Woman to be. So So did you read it before you went to the movie? Yes. And I've been okay. so I, you kind I, of I had a, a new background for her in your head when you went in. And for our listeners, if you don't know, this is Earth One Wonder Woman. It's by Grant Morrison and Yannick. I forget his last name is the artist. Um, it's been it's been talked about for like two and a half, three years. Um, yeah. Grant Morrison's been talking about this thing and talking about this thing and like you know hyping it up. And I'm like, I've always been very curious, so I ended up just grabbing it. It's hardcover, um, and it's you know it's it's got its high much like the movie. It's got its high points and low points. Um, there's a lot really intriguing, good stuff, especially on you know her origin, like you know where she actually came from, which was really cool. How they help you know handle that, but there's a lot of it. It's just like what is what is this? Like it just doesn't. I don't know. There, I don't well, want. That's funny, a whole other podcast. It's long on exposition, which is just yeah. It looks gorgeous, and uh, the way they've recast some of that origin is really interesting. But it's really short on action. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of the opposite of Batman v Superman, which yeah, <laughs> where it was like yeah. sort of you know gobbling up exposition for the sake of having big action scenes. So, well, um, and they did so much, and I hate to keep harping on this, but they did so much with Gal Gadot. But I mean, it, it was very much a less is more character. Like she had very little dialogue, but when when she was on screen, like it was just so mysterious and cool and interesting. Like you could sort of 
put your own, you know, sort of expectations and curiosity into that, into that character. It was like, they did it. They handled that pitch perfectly the entire time. It was her in that movie was as good as Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk in Avengers. It felt that same, like, Oh my God, these guys know exactly what they're doing with her. Right. Right. Um, We're taking this, this person that could easily just be sort of uh, decoration and, and like giving them real substance. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that almost redeems the whole movie because of all these criticisms of, you know, what would that Batman, you know, what Superman would never kill Batman's using guns, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, but we've told the Superman and Batman story so many times. I mean, it's gotta be so hard to like, you know, satisfy any expectations of, um, you know, we're staying true to the character, but we're offering something new. Whereas Wonder Woman was like, that was pitch perfect. Just right in the sweet spot. So I'm listening to the theme as we speak to, the uh, Wonder Woman hunts Wonder and everything. <laughs> it sounds like something out of Mad Max too. You almost expected the doof uh, warrior to be like on his, you know, on the 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 amp guitar thing on the back of the truck, like playing the you know playing the guitar part. Is <laughs> I thought, I thought you meant you were listening to the Linda Carter theme, and they're like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. Like every time that came on, I'm just like, I got excited. Yeah, I got excited. Well, um, so we we broke all our rules in season. Oh yeah, in season two, episode one, we we hit 20 minutes like before we even mentioned Batman. <laughs> Just like Batman, we break all the rules. So we're definitely not going to call this like the 30-minute podcast. Um, uh, Maybe next time. Yeah, but I, I enjoy talking about one subject um, with a little bit more uh, energy and depth you know, than when we try to, to uh, shotgun out a, a bunch of opinions on different things that are going on all week. Because so much goes on all week that we, Agreed. Can't, Agreed. we can't summarize at all. Um, and I don't remember which button on my sound effects machine is the closing music button but <laughs> i'm gonna try to find that you tell me where we can find you online <laughs> you can find me online uh at uh taylor trask t-a-y-l-o-r-t-r-a-s-k on twitter and uh other other very you know google me you'll find the other spots as sure well. and i am at hey todd a on twitter and the two of us are have a website at todd and taylor.com um we don't really know when what uh, we don't have set days for releasing episodes from season two of our podcast. No, not yet. But our game of Thrones podcast definitely has a day that it comes out. What day is that? That is Wednesday folks, Wednesday in Westeros. It's in the name. If you, if you're sitting there wondering, when does Wednesday in Westeros come out? It's not Sunday. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. It's Wednesdays. So we're, it's like the perfect split. You know, we, we watch it on Sunday. We talk about it on Monday. Uh, and then, and then we release the podcast on Wednesday to to give you kind of a review and kind of hype you up for the next week. And exactly, um, perfect, yeah. perfect midway, so, perfect. Uh, you know, little little uh, you know, quenching your thirst for for Game of Thrones while you wait in between episodes. So exactly, and totally. Uh, search for us on iTunes. Um, if you go to toddandtaylor.com, you will find all of our past episodes and seasons. Um, we are our home base is SoundCloud for all of our podcasts where we keep our show notes and links to a bunch of the stuff that we talk about. So we'll try to throw in some of these articles that we were referring to um, when we put this episode up. But until the next time that was not the one I anticipated. <laughs> I like that one better. <laughs> That's until next time. <laughs> all right. We have been Todd and Taylor. Bye bye.